If the roar of the crowd gives you goosebumps, cashing a slip makes you grin, and above all, you love making your bookie cry, then you're in the right place. The number one spot for premier betting advice and wild opinions, shared with a fan base like no other. Welcome home. This is the Punch List MMA Podcast. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? It's your boy, as always, Dale, in here. Now, no pressure. There's no pressure whatsoever. Okay, so let's just cut this right now. No pressure, but I am in here with um, one of the sharpest guys in the game and one of the nicest guys in the game. You guys, uh, if you're not familiar, you soon will be. You've heard me say his name many times before, and you'll hear me continue to say it uh, from here on out because he's just a fantastic capper and a good human being. My man, Eric Block from Eric's Bet- Eric Betts Fights. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great, man. I, I appreciate that intro. I will accept the uh, the second part of your compliment. I am a nice guy. I, I, I try to be sharp. I don't know. We'll see. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but I appreciate it. No, nah, man. It's it's what's what's great, and I mean this with all love, is that I listen to your I listen to all your stuff. I watch your videos, and you're so even keel and you're so nice about everything. And then I invite you to come on to this show, and it almost feels like taking like my dad to like a heavy metal concert. Like I, I need <laughs> in comparison of content i just want you to know that like this is a safe space you can say and do whatever you feel here so if you were playing it safe on your show and you just got some demons you want to let out this is the spot to do it buddy so just so you yeah this i i was i was thinking you know about the just like sort of the the chemistry and the back and forth that that you and trey always had and it was you know done very in a very friendly way but there was a lot of disagreement and i was like oh man like i don't i don't even really do that i just kind of shrug and i'm like sure cool why not you know (laughs) we'll push back man even if even if you don't want to just get get out of your comfort zone if you will um i'll do my best yeah, and I appreciate you stepping up and, and, and joining me on the show tonight. UFC 277 obviously is a massive card, uh, and it's it's a daunting task for any person to accomplish solo. Uh, it might even prove itself to be too much for two sharp guys like you and I, but we will see what we can do. Uh, so I appreciate you coming on real quick. I'm going to pay some bills. Uh, guys, if you don't already do so, you can check out uh, if you want a hat like this or clothing, anything like that that, that that suits your fancy, you can go to legionsclothing.com and you can use promo code PUNCH, save 15% site-wide and those of you um that have already done so i want to one extend a thank you to uh but also just know that i see you those of you that have used the promo code uh excuse me for the stay classy meets promo if you go there and use promo code fishing save 10 percent off site-wide supporting the show through the sponsors is what makes all this possible so thank you for doing that um but here we are ufc london was this last weekend and you and I were kind of, you know, shooting the breeze on it before we got going here. What was your, I'm going to ask you a two-part question here. What was your big play on Saturday that you that you felt like you were absolutely on the right side of? And then what was one of your big takeaways, you know, promotionally speaking, on Saturday? You know, I had a really hard time bet-wise with that card. You know, usually I end up with, I don't know, at least three to like maybe five or six money line bets and then you know usually i sprinkle some props and some parlays but you know there were so many big chalky favorites on that card i actually only ended up with two money line bets i bet patty pimblett and vulcan ozdemir so i did hit my two money line bets but other than that it was largely just throwing some parlays together and uh it it was a winning event for me i won 1.6 units so it wasn't much if mason jones would have come through i had a big six leg parlay that uh that he busted and then i had another um 
I, I made a really risky parlay that was one, two, three, four, five legs paid plus 3741. And only Amir Khani busted that one for me. So I put mm. some dogs in there and stuff. And that one, that one almost came through. But uh, yeah, it was, it was an okay event. Could have been better. I, I, you know, I took some swings on some plus 1200, plus 1600 props and that kind of thing. I always got to get a little bit, a little bit degenerate with it like that. But uh, yeah, as, as far as a takeaway, uh, <laughs> this isn't, anything anything too amazing but i would say my my biggest takeaway was uh even though he won i think i'm done betting on vulcan uzdemir yeah i just don't think he's a guy i'm gonna bet on anymore i just he, he doesn't he you know he, he he doesn't fight for your money i guess to to, to borrow a cliche no yeah i i agree 100 there's no there's no sense of urgency with with him yeah. um it, it's weird for a guy that calls himself no time he acts like he has all the time in the world like mm-hmm. he just does, he just does not operate with any sort of um, with uh, to use the word again any sort of sense of urgency. If you look at his fights, like if you look at like the fervor in which he fought Jimmy Manoa, that's just not there anymore. You know what I mean? It's just not. And I, I can't help but wonder. Um, I think one of the if you talk about like a beating that sort of changes a fighter, I think the beating that Anthony Smith put on him kind of changed him a little bit because he got that was really bad. Like he got beat up real bad in that fight. Um, that was not, it was one that I think he was very convinced that he was going to win and was doing so for a long time. And then Anthony turned the tide on him real quick and, and, and really switched things up on him. So I don't think we've, we've seen the same Vulcan since then, if I'm being honest. Yeah. And and for whatever reason, was his UFC debut against Cormier? I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head. Vulcans. Yeah. No, he, no. or, or, Or it was OSP, wasn't it? Uh, it was either OSP or Manawa, one of the two. Okay, uh, yeah, but we'll find I, out. I guess. I, yeah, ahead. I remember seeing him in his UFC debut, and for some reason, he was one of those guys that right off the bat, I just lumped in the "this guy's not very good" pile. I don't mm. even really remember why I made that read, but he was one of those dudes that I kind of just, in the back of my mind, I thought he was going to wash out of the organization pretty fast. I was like, "This guy's a flash in the pan. He's not very good," and he's, you know, he's he's stuck around, but. He's starting to look a little bit more like the fighter I thought he was in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, yeah, OSP was the, was the debut, then wins over Misha Serkinov, Jimmy Manoa, and then the uh, the shot against Cormier. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. What? Yeah. OSP. That's right. Yeah, I don't know why I was thinking it was Cormier. But, yeah, he. I think, and I think that was, he was a late re- replacement against OSP, too, if I remember correctly. I don't remember who the original opponent was. but Right. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's that. And then another takeaway, Gus is done, right? Like, Gus has to be done at this point. He has to be, and I love Gus. Yeah, and I was yeah. on him this weekend, but uh, if Nick, Nikita Krylov or Krylov is shutting out the lights, we're, we're done here. Yeah, I, I didn't bet Gus, but it was one of those spots where where I really wanted to. I had to, I, I had to work, and usually I don't, but I had to work pretty hard to to uh, separate myself from the sort of emotional connection there, you know, because it, obviously, if that fight was even three or four years ago. It, it probably wouldn't have even been close. You know, Krylov is another of those guys that I've always just kind of thrown in the in the the dude's no good pile. And he's he's shown that he's a little bit better than I gave him credit for in the beginning. But I still don't think he's really all that good. And and even the, you know, I was like, even the ghost of Gus might be able to get this done. But I ended up staying away. But yeah, it was it was a rough one. Yeah. Uh, to address the chat real quick, how about the racket Manawa situation? Any thoughts on that? Are you are you familiar with what went down afterwards? I don't think I am. So supposedly Jimmy Manoa went up after the fight and Rackage says sucker punch. Some people say slap, but essentially we have like a Leon Edwards, Jorge Masvidal situation where Manoa went up and put hands on Rakic, uh after the fact. Now, 
apparently it was because they, you know, even after Rockage kicked Jimmy Manoa's soul out of his body, uh, he still continued to talk trash. But here we are three years later, the two guys see each other and Manoa not only puts hands on him, but then afterwards when asked about the situation, says he still thinks he has some fights left in him and thinks he might want to make a return to com- the, the combat sports arena. Oh, okay. So there's the context. I did. I did actually see a tweet from Manoa about mm-hmm. this, but I didn't really know what the what the situation was exactly. Okay, that's interesting. So Manoa said he was potentially thinking about coming back. He says he wants to. He says he's not sure if it'll okay. be with the UFC, but he says he, he he says he still has some fight left in him, and he retired because of the losses, which I think is why anybody retires. Really, is because sure. you know you're getting your ass kicked by everybody. But uh, four losses in a row decides take some time off and then ultimately comes back. I can't help but wonder how much money is going to play a factor in that as well, because I don't think a lot of these guys when they retire are as set for life as they may think they're going to be. And oftentimes opening a gym uh, or doing private coaching lessons doesn't always continue to pay the bills much long after your career is kaput. And of course, the first question I have when you mentioned that is I had to pull him up and see how old he is. He's 42. Yeah. So yeah, it's probably probably not the greatest idea, but who am I to say? Jimmy Manuel and Bare Knuckle would be something. There you go. There you go. I like that a little more. Yeah. <laughs> Which is maybe not the greatest thing to say for like, oh, a guy, maybe he shouldn't come back and fight, but he should fight Bare Knuckle instead. <laughs> but, <laughs> Why, not? Why not? I like it. Yeah, and speaking of him being 42, something that blew my mind uh, last week, and then we'll move on from UFC London. Uh, Volkan Uzdemir, real quick, is 32 years old. Does that doesn't that seem like incredibly incorrect? It feels like I just told you a lie, doesn't it? It does. And the funny thing is, that's something I pay attention to. I'm usually pretty good at knowing fighters' ages. And if you would have asked me how old Vulcan was, I would have guessed 36, 37, probably. Right. right. I he, did not know he was that young. He feels like that. Like, because I'm I'm yeah. 36 and it feels like him and I got to be close to each other, but he is in fact younger than me. Wow. Um, that blows my mind. Yeah, I know, right? Go ahead, fact check that one up. Because I was like, there's no way this dude's 32 years old. Uh, but yeah, man. Um, crazy. Yeah. Uh, so meatball, she beats, Han- uh, Hannah Goldie. We, you know, I honestly thought Hannah had a, had a shot in that fight. The weigh in really threw me off of that. I should have listened to my gut and pulled out of it, um, after the weigh in. And then Patty obviously gets the W. What do you think is next for, for the Scouser gang? Uh, and then we'll move on from UFC London. Man, I don't know. Yeah, this is something I've kind of been thinking about because it's like, at, at what point? So Patty has what three wins in the UFC now? Yes. At, at what point do they stop really carefully picking opponents for him? You know, mm-hmm. probably not yet, right? Probably yeah. not quite yet. Um, and I, I heard you talking about. Uh, you know, the possibility of him fighting Dober. And that feels like a situation that they might want to keep him away from at this point still. I don't know. But yeah, like, yeah, I don't know. I I feel like, you know, he's obviously in, in London, obviously in the UK cards. I mean, the guy's a big star. He's, he's, you know, he's as big a star as the UFC has right now, probably. And, and it's only going to get bigger, especially if they can get him a few more big wins. But, you know, kind of the big talk with him is that, you know, when the time comes that they do stop protecting him, he he's very hittable and somebody's going to, somebody's going to clock him. Somebody's going to knock him out bad. And it's just a matter of who it's going to be and when I think, but yeah. they're, they're, they're going to try to keep that from happening for as long as they can. I think I've, 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 I've known Drew for a little while now. I've only heard him say that he wants to fight three people. Like I always ask, I always give him, you know, give him shit. I always want to know how much he weighs, 
who he wants to fight next, when he's fighting, tell me who you're fighting so I can break the news, just all that kind of stuff. The only people that he's ever told me that he wanted to fight uh, were to Casey. He wanted to fight to Casey on that London car, but they couldn't make it work. Bobby Green. And on our show one time, he said he wanted to punch Patty Pimblett. So <laughs> I, I just, I mean, I'm cool with any of those. Um, it, admittedly, I loved the idea of him versus DeCasey more when DeCasey was still, you know, kickboxing. But now DeCasey wants to be a wrestler. So I don't think that's the fan-friendly fight that that Drew would hope it would be because he's blatantly said outright, I want as many fights as I can get that the fans are going to be happy about. I want to go out and be yeah. in wars. Um, and I don't – DeCasey – while dominant in his win on Saturday was probably my most frustrating performance because he literally fought like a dude that bet on himself to win by decision. There was mm-hmm. no urgency, did not attempt to win that fight, just merely did exactly what he had to do to not lose it um, and got the win. And I get it. There's a time and place for that. But you're in London. You have a, an opponent that's that, that's going to be game. You, you could have made a statement there and kind of put your – your career on a, on another trajectory or at least a parallel timeline, if you will. And, and, you know, I wonder if the, if the pendulum will kind of swing back toward the middle a little bit again, you know, he, he's uh, really, really pushed the wrestling in the last two fights. Obviously that's a, that's a skill set that he's feeling comfortable with or looking to develop or whatever it might be, but hopefully it'll like, you know, he swung it over to the wrestling side. Hopefully it'll kind of settle in the middle a little bit more where he'll have that in his pocket if he needs it, but not, uh, not be going to it uh, quite as much. For sure. All right, so let's break down UFC 277. Takes place this weekend live on pay-per-view. The rematch, well, two rematches. I mean, we can't say bookended because, I mean, it's uh, that's not the appropriate way to use it. But what would you, how would you say if the, co, if the co-main and the main are both rematches, would it be doubled up on rematches? How would, I don't there even know how you say that. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> a, a double shot of rematches takes place this weekend live on pay-per-view. We've got... Uh, Amanda Nunez taking on Juliana Pena and Brandon Moreno taking on Kai Carr France. Uh, and then we're, we're in Dallas, Texas. So, you know, it's going to be a good one. So first fight on the main card, if I'm not mistaken, is Moreno versus Semmelsberger. Is it not? I'm not even sure. That's okay. Producer Jake, you just pull those <laughs> odds up, man. We'll just run it as if that is the first one. Morono here uh, yeah, Eric, should is, be. Is, is a slight underdog at the plus 126. Semmelsberger coming back. Uh, some of the Jedi coming back at up minus one forty six over on rounds. Is it two and a half? You are the guest. It's only fitting that I beseech you the honor of going first, man. What, what do you think here? Sure. Uh, this is a fight, <laughs> you know, last week, my, uh, I guess the kind of the main point in my breakdown of Pimblet and Levitt was that I was like, you know, I don't necessarily think that their skill levels are super different. I think the biggest difference between them is going to be the athleticism. Mm. And I feel a little bit the same about this fight. Although, you know, I, th- I think when it comes right down to it, this is a little bit of a, you know, if you break down like the different archetypes of fighters, there's like the athlete, there's the martial artist, you know, that sort of thing. Like this is a situation where we've got an athlete versus a martial artist. If I can mm. oversimplify a little bit, you know, like I, th- I think uh, if the, if they were both occupying the same body, uh, Alex Morono is probably the better fighter. You know, I think he's the he's the more technical and more skilled fighter. But I think Semmelsberger is one of those dudes who, you know, he was a college football player. He was probably one of those guys who could have just settled on almost any sport and 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 been you know pretty successful with it. And so for me, it becomes a question of 
you know, which one wins the day is, is Semmelsberger um, athletic enough to overcome uh, what might be a, you know, skill and technique advantage for Morono. And I, and I lean toward thinking he probably is. Um, that said, the, the odds seem pretty accurate to me. So I, I think I do like Semmelsberger to win. Um, I haven't bet this fight. I actually have only have one bet on this card so far. So I'm excited <laughs> to uh, hear a bunch of your thoughts here because I've there's spots yeah. that I like, but I'm just not quite sure what to do with them yet. But yeah, I, I lean toward thinking uh, Semmelsberger will just be, you know, it could be a close fight, but I think, the, you know, the, the advantages that Semmelsberger is going to have in size, in reach, in speed and athleticism uh, could could make the difference here. And I think those things will have to be the difference maker, right? Like, I don't think there's going to be an X factor outside of the athleticism of Semmelsberger that gets him the win. He's not going to come out there and show like a new skill set, something he developed in camp, something that we haven't seen from him before. There is no X factor in Semmelsberger here other than what you said, exactly. The athleticism, the speed, the power, that's going to be his way to victory. And the one thing about Morono, if we're going to knock it, is his ability to get tagged in every fight. Like, he is touchable. Um, and my concern with, with him in this is that that's Semmelsberger is not necessarily a guy that you can make that level of mistake with too, too many times, right? It's not necessarily one punch knockout power unless you're Jason Witt, but Jason Witt, in my opinion, doesn't have a great chin outside of that. Um, Semmelsberger isn't really shutting the lights out on you, but he'll get you out of there. There's no doubt about that. What's interesting to me, and I, I loved your, 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 insight there on the idea of a martial artist versus an athlete. Um, Morono spends a lot of his time coaching. So there's a very cerebral approach to the game. And if you look at Morono, this will undoubtedly, if Semmelsberger gets it done on Saturday, be the the feather in his cap as far as his career so far. I mean, there, there is nobody else that he's beaten that has the resume or the skill set of Alex Morono, which seems weird, right? Because Morono um, isn't somebody that you're like, really like waving the flag saying this, this guy is it. But I mean, Semmelsberger, I mean, who would you say his, his premium win is in his career? Like Carlton minus, I mean, realistically we've bet on him a lot on this show, but I don't necessarily know that I see anything resume wise that leads me to believe that he's going to beat Alex Morono. Other than the fact that Morono gets hit every single fight, he gets tagged, um, gets a shit stung, wants a fight. Uh, and Semmelsberger has the athleticism to do that. So the speed advantage will be his, the power advantage will be his. But if Morono can weather the early storm and frustrate Semmelsberger, I think we have a situation like we see with chaos, the Chaos Williams fight, where Semmelsberger, the, the experience for the fight IQ isn't necessarily there to get plan B, C, and D rolling if plan A doesn't stop. So if I'm looking at a dog that I think might have some fight in him, Morono's it, but to be honest with you, this is probably a pass fight for me uh, just because I'm not getting insane value on Morono and I don't love Semmelsberger's chances against a very experienced cerebral guy like Morono. And they're both durable. So under two and a half doesn't scream out to me either. So I'm probably just going to stay away from this one, to be honest. That's where I'm leading to. Uh, let me, let me throw something at you here that I guess we'll call it a trivia question. Mm. Um, and, and don't look, I know your screen is right in front of you there, but I want your best guess. And maybe, you know, but this, this is something that surprised me because it's one of those things where um, I feel like he's flying under the radar a little bit. What do you think uh, Alex Morono's UFC record is? 
oh man, he's been around for a long time. That's always the can. That's every time that I see Morono come up on the card and I try to look and see what he's done. I know that he's been around for a long time. So oh, he's been with the organization. Um, uh, let's see. This has got to be like year seven, year eight. He's fighting two, three times a year. Give me, give me ten and four, <laughs> dude. He's ten, four and one. Let's go. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah, because th- that surprised me because it, in my mind, um, you know, Alex Morono's good, but I think of him as a little bit more of a middle of the road kind of mm-hmm. fighter. And when I saw that record, I was like, that's a pretty good record, actually. <laughs> yeah. Like Alex Morono's a little bit. He's, he's flying under the radar maybe a little more than he should. So, yeah, I, I was kind of surprised by that. Yeah, and that's his UFC record. That's not his that is mm-hmm. on his career record. I just want to make sure that right. so as it translates across the stream, people know that we're talking about his, his record inside the octagon, not um, so. But, yeah, uh, again, cerebral guy. I'll just keep beating that word up, um, my, my little $3 word for the day. And then also, like I said, the coaching. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say one of the better nicknames in the game outside of Jim A. 10 Miller, the Great White. I mean, yep. just um, – <laughs> Just a great <clears throat> nickname, man. All right, so next fight on this main card. Oh, buddy. Uh, we got Magomed Ankalaev taking on Anthony Lionheart-Smith. Anthony Smith at 36-16. and 16. Ankalaev at 17-1, and one, as we know, that one loss coming to the hands of Paul Craig. Ankalaev at a minus 600 here. Anthony Smith available widely at a plus 400. Over and around, over and around is at two and a half. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. I would almost argue that Ankalaev... Ankalaev is this line makes him unplayable here. Um, I, I would say that it makes him unplayable it, it, from a money line perspective. You could make an argument that he might finish Anthony Smith, even though he's not known for finishing. My, my thing with, with Anthony Smith is he comes out and fights tired. He fights like he's losing from the time the bell, <laughs> like from, from the time that the referee says go, Anthony Smith starts fighting like he's losing. Um, he, he seems tentative always. He, it seems like every like leg kick, like really hurts. Like everything's just, he always, he's always fighting like he's losing. He's always fighting like he's getting hurt, uh, which makes me nervous because Ankalaev is capable of finishing, um, and has the power and technique to do so, but he is also extremely patient and will just allow you to give a fight away. Like he's not going to chase the finish. If you're going to let him beat up your lead leg and throw a one-two or stick you with that, you know, with with straights down the middle, he he will do that the whole fight and does not care. Like he'll just let he'll let it happen. Um, he's not going to chase the win. He's not afraid of an ugly win. Anthony Smith is going to have to take the fight to him. It's not something I've seen out of Anthony lately. Uh, another X factor here, and you know we're gamblers, so there is there is some degeneracy involved in this. Anthony Smith's mom died two months ago. Um, this is his first fight since his mom passed. I, I mentally, where's your headspace? Like that's it, it. The fight's announced. Your mom passes. Like, is this a fight where you go through camp and you're you're going out with the pressure of like say a Cody Stamen? Like I got to get the win for my, you know, for my mom or in Stamen's case, my brother. Like I got to do it. Like this is the thing, right? Um, or like Yanez with his coach, or like after, I remember after Robert Fallis uh, passed, it seemed like every Robert Fallis fighter for a year won every fight. You know what I mean? It was like this whole thing that happened. So um, 
is there any scientific analysis to that? No, but these weird anomalous things that happen in the fight game are su- are amplified because it's such a one-on-one thing. And what happens outside of the cage in preparation for the fight matters just as much as the preparation for the fight in the cage. And that's what makes the sport so unique. So I think you could get away with a sprinkle on Anthony Smith here at plus 400, because why the hell not? It's four to one on a guy that you, that, that fought for a title uh, with, you know, damn near what over 50 fights of experience. Um, sure. Small sprinkle, but I would have low expectations for Anthony come Saturday and just take the win if he gets it and be really happy that he got it. Yeah, I, I'm in exactly the same boat as you're in on, on this fight here. I mean, right off the bat, you mentioned that Ankalaev was minus 600, and then that feels unplayable. I feel the same way. And, you know, Ankalaev should win this fight, but I just pulled up the impri- implied probability calculator. Minus 600 is 85%. Does Ankalaev win this fight 85% of the time? That feels like an awful lot to me. And, and also, like, Okay, if we think it's pretty, I think it's pretty likely that the fight goes to decision. Mm. And if it does, I think it's pretty likely that it's reasonably close too. you know, like I think the fight could play out reasonably close. And so, yeah, his money line is like minus 500 to minus 600 range. Um, I did pull up some props on this fight. Uncle mm-hmm. I have by decision can be had for plus 120. That's a spot that I don't mind. Yeah. And then if you want to get crazy, here's the fun ones. Anthony Smith by KO plus 900. Anthony Smith by sub plus 1600. Those are like some little salt base spots maybe. That yeah. it, is it likely? No, of course not. And the, and, the, and the odds reflect that. But I like to get a little nutty with it sometimes. I think, well, I think you're onto something with the sub prop. Because, I mean, obviously, if we look at Uncle Live's one loss as a professional, where to come? It came from Paul Craig at the last second. Now, (laughs) it came at the last second of the fight. And if you haven't watched this fight, I encourage you to go back and do so, dear listener. Because it wasn't like Paul Craig put him in that spot and he like fought it like Dan Hardy versus GSP for minutes on end. He threw it up with less than 10 seconds left in the fight. And Ankaliyev tapped near immediately. Like... I, you know, I've been arguing with internet folks for the better half of today because I just can't help myself. Uh, but similar to Cub Swanson, like Cub gets put in a sub attempt and taps immediately. Like he's just like, I'll live to fight another day. I'm not messing with this. You're not breaking my shit or choking me out anymore. He just taps. Ankalaev tapped almost instantaneously when Paul Craig put that submission on him. Anthony Smith, while known, you know, uh, he does, does have good stand-up and very creative and, and loves to showcase the Muay Thai. Fantastic submission game on Anthony Smith. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, for a guy that fights like he's losing all the time, reasonable expectation that at one point in time, he will be on his back this fight with Magomed Ankalaev on top of him. So, plus 1,600 on a sub? Why not? It's not any less playable than plus 400. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I'll, I'll probably end up sprinkling that, yeah, that sub. I might even sprinkle this sub round three just to get even more crazy. We might as well, man. If you're going to do it, anything worth doing is worth doing right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Are we going to go ahead and just call this next fight a title title shot eliminator? Maybe Alexander Pantoja at 24 and five taking on Alex Perez at 24 and six flyweight divisions wide open, man. We kind of really do whatever we want here. Um, minus 180 for Pantoja, Alex Perez plus 155 over under on the rounds. Is it two and a half? You're go, good sir. 
man, I was going to throw this one to you. This, this is a, this, this was a fight. I was, I was thinking, I was like, man, if, if Dale throws the Pantoja Perez fight to me, I'm just going to volley it right back, but I'll try. This was a fight where I, I literally typed in my notes here. I'm terrible at capping flyweight fights because they're too damn fast and they're all really skilled and I'm too old to figure out what's going on unless I start watching tape in slow motion or something. That's what I put in my notes. I feel like all I type in my notes when I'm watching these fights is, oh, he's really fast. That was really fast. <laughs> right. oh, that takedown is really fast too. Like, like I have a hard time like really getting into the meat of like what, what they're good at and really differentiating between them. Um, but that said, this is another spot where like, yeah, you know, a lot of times you just kind of have to let the, let the odds do the work for you, which is kind of what we were doing with that last fight. And yeah, Pantoja at about uh, minus 180. That feels, I, and I've seen a lot of people betting that too. A lot of people mm -hmm. are confident in Pantoja and are feeling good about that line. And to me, it feels like Pantoja should win this fight. I agree. But um, it, I, I don't mind a, a dog shot on Perez here, but I would need a little bit more meat on the bone than that plus mm -hmm. 155. Like, yeah, where the line is at right now, I don't really like um, betting either side too much. Uh, the, the over under two and a half. I don't know. What do you think? Does this does this one uh, does this one go to decision? I would believe so. I, at least I'd be inclined to believe so. I think the, I think the finish rate amongst flyweights is like somewhere like hovering around like twenty percent. It's really Pretty not low, even yeah. worth. It's not even worth considering really. Um, if I'm looking at Pantoja, quality competition is through the roof, and mm -hmm. Alex Perez hasn't fought in two years with his last loss being right. like round one to D Davison. So. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, Alex Perez is unbettable until I see him win again. And he, the first fight that he's going to have this week is going to be against the scale. So if he makes the weight, which we need to see him do, how does he look? And then he's got a he's got a beast in Alexander Pantoja, who's really honestly chomping at the bit to get that title shot because he's circling around and has wins over all the top guys and knows exactly what he needs to do um, to, to get it done and has only lost to the best in the division, which... I know Alex Perez was a former title challenger, but wins over Juicy. Um, and I, I can't remember who else he beat. Mark De La Rosa and somebody else to get his title shot. I'm not, I, I that just, that doesn't scream anything to me other than, than a wash division with nobody else really available at the time. Two years away from the cage, a handful of canceled bouts against Matt Schnell, uh, battles with, with weight cutting, Minus 180 Pantoja not only seems like a good spot for me, but also seems like a parlay piece. Not an anchor, but I'm 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 okay with somebody throwing Pantoja on two and three leggers for sure. I like them. Yeah, I think you might have talked to me a little bit more toward thinking that minus 180 is reasonable. Yeah, this I'm I'm really glad that that this is the card that you asked me to come on because you know usually <laughs> usually I finish my tape study and I've got a bunch of bets already and I'm feeling good about spots and this was one where. Well, I'll tell you what bet I made when we get there, but there was only one spot that I liked enough to hit it already, and then a few others that I'm looking at. So, yeah, Pantoja minus 180. I'm feeling better about it. You should feel good about that. You should feel good about that spot. That's a good one because, again, the first fight that Perez is going to have is against that scale. All right, Derek Lewis, 26-9, and nine, taking on Sergey Pavlovich. Or Pavlovich? Pavlovich. Which one do you think that is? Is it? Pavlovich? I always say Pavlovich, but... So do I. I don't I know. Yeah. Anyway, Derek Lewis had an underdog spot here against my man Sergey in Texas, no less. Uh, Derek Lewis, we're getting him at underdog money over on rounds is at one and a half. I am inclined to believe that Derek Lewis will win this fight. Now, the only reason why I say that is is because Derek Lewis wins every fight that the stakes are low, 
And if you're Derek Lewis, the stakes are low here for you. I mean, you're, I don't believe well, how many title shots has Derek Lewis had now? Two, three, something like that. Sure. Right. So he had the, he had the interim against gone. Right. And then he had, he had the one against Cormier. So two title shots. Okay. So two title shots for Derek Lewis. We're not getting Derek Lewis a title shot anytime soon. We've already seen what we believe to be his, his ceiling. And at this point we've, we've, relegated ourselves to almost a rampage Jackson novelty level knockout artist. So I'm either going to knock you out and turn you into a meme, or I'm going to lose the fight by skill, right? You're just going to outskill me. Uh, Pavlovich, while being an absolute monster of a human being, are we, are, is anybody running around confident enough that Derek Lewis can't put him flat back? Like it's just not really, what we've we you know what we've really seen we haven't really seen anybody go out there with the exception of Cormier and gone and and really make Derek look pedestrian um he has a way of luring you into his stupid style of fighting where he sits there on his wobbly knees and just swings for the fences and somehow knocks you out um my hope is that guys like Sergey and um Romanov and these other, you know, this new wave of like Drago style Russian dudes that are coming through will will kind of help usher this novelty level heavyweight out, um, Derek Lewis and a few others included. But I don't necessarily know if at this point in the game for a guy like Sergey on this stage, um, I feel like this might be an underhand little pitch like saying hey Derek you've gotten your ass kicked in Texas twice now man every time we try to turn you into superhero here you shit the bed is is there any way that you can dust this dude so we have some highlights to roll on your next film package please you know because Sergey is going to be around for a long time he's a young dude he's a young heavyweight heavyweights can fight well into their 40s 40s he's not going anywhere um a loss here does nothing for him A, a loss here does nothing for either one of these guys uh, this is Derek Lewis on a main card because you can't put him in the prelims. And they're I think they're serving him up. We might have a small gift here at Derek Lewis at plus money. I like that. Yeah, the, the, this was a fight where when I when I finished the tape, like I always do my tape study without knowing the odds and I set the odds in my head and compare them to the real odds to try to find value, whatever. And when I finished the tape study, I was like, man, I don't know. It feels like a coin flip or pretty close to me. So when I pulled up the odds, I was like, okay, yeah, it seems like that's where, where they've got it. Because yeah, I can I can absolutely see uh, this playing out, you know, similarly to the to the Chris Dacus fight or to any number of Derek Lewis fights that we've seen play out that same way, where he's like you said, just kind of you know lulling his opponent into his kind of fight, where it's it seems like he's just kind of doesn't really know what he's doing and is just kind of hanging out. And like you said, he's got that weird knock need thing that fat guys have. He's not even like a real fat guy, but he's got the weird fat <laughs> guy knock need thing going right, on. Right. But, but he, you know, it's and then it's like what he's really doing without you realizing and he's, he's hypnotizing you and he's slowly walking your back to the cage so he can mm-hmm. do Derek Lewis stuff, you know? And so I think there's definitely a good shot that that happens. And then I started thinking, you're going to love this. Cause I got into conspiracy territory mm-hmm. in my head a little bit. Please, please. And I started thinking because I am one of those people and I'm going to get in trouble for this. I've, I've seen people argue very passionately well on both sides of this really, but mm. I don't think Derek Lewis was unconscious against Tai Tuivasa. I think he was hurt very badly. Mm-hmm. I think he had his bell rung and was right on the right on the line there. I don't mm-hmm. think he was knocked out. I mm-hmm. think he got hurt 
and was like, well, okay. I think if there's one thing Derek Lewis does not like, well, it's especially getting hit to the body really hard, mm -hmm. but Derek Lewis loves hitting people really hard, but he, he hates getting hit really hard as much as he loves hitting people really hard. Correct. And I think at some point, there's a good shot that Sergei Pavlovich is going to hit him really hard because that's mm -hmm. something he does. And one thing that stood out to me uh, doing the research for this is that Sergei Pavlovich is six foot three and he has an 84 inch reach, 84 inches being Eight. seven feet. Yeah. John Jones and Sir, and Stefan Struve are tied at 84 and a half for the longest in UFC history. And, and Sergei Pavlovich is only a half inch under that. Not that he's a guy who's going to be like pawing his jab out there and using his length anyway, but I just thought that was interesting, but yeah. So, so it's, it's a spot where if the if the odds were flip-flopped or like if we were maybe getting like plus 120 plus 130 something like that on Pavlovich I might be willing to take the shot but with him being a little bit of a a little bit of a favorite I don't think I am um the under one and a half is at minus 150 what do you think about that I think that's I think that's if you're leaning this play like so again novelty right so it's it's the novelty of the knockout here if you're if you're on the Pavlovich side, um, he has to understand that. I, I really think I, I weigh for back and forth on this. Do you think the best way to beat Derek Lewis is to take the fight directly to it and frustrate him, like you said, hit him because he doesn't like being hit? So, do you play with fire and you take the fight to him, or do you give him 15 minutes to try to capture lightning in a bottle by by fighting slow and risking him catching you, like Volkov? Right, like Volkov could have gotten him out of there, but he pissed around and got caught in a fight that he was up huge in. He was up huge, and if he would have just acted with a sense of urgency, he could have got Derek out of there. So to Sergey, who's a known quick starter, who hits hard and, like you said, massive, does he decide I'm going to go out there and go after Derek, or does he say I want to I want to tire him out? Like, what is Sergey's approach? Does he want to be smart, and what is his level of smart? think does he think taking it to him smart or does he think wearing him out smart i don't i don't know um it's, it's a really it's good tough. question and they're they're both they're both dangerous approaches yeah yeah there's there's no there's no not dangerous way to to, to try to beat Derek lewis right but right. but yeah and i mean i think with with the reach that he has i think taking a more volkov approach could work really well for him but that's just not that's just not who he is you know i just right. I, I just don't know that he even has that in him now let me ask you this so I mean, obviously, some fights we can. Oh no, it's not even worth playing. No, never mind. I was going to say some fights you can use certain props as like the anchor for, but fight doesn't go to decision is like minus six hundred. There's no point even. It's, yeah, that's wild. To think that over to think at the seven minute and thirty second mark is minus one fifty, but then they're going to put another, you know, the implied probability. What do you say, eighty five percent after that? that it doesn't go another seven and a half minutes. I mean, that's just, I don't know. I have a heart. I'm, I can't really wrap my head around that, man. I would, part of me says they want Derek Lewis to get this win here. The other part of me says that maybe Sergey's the lifeblood, an, another iteration of the new lifeblood that's, that's being pumped into the heavyweight division. I'll go under one and a half and hope for violence. I'll just make a violence play here. Minus 150. Why not? Um, violence. Give me blood. <laughs> I like that. And, you know, I feel like and Derek Lewis is he's he's only 37 and you can only put the word only in front of 37 when you're talking about heavyweights, but mm -hmm. not really that old for a heavyweight, you know, but he's got he's got a lot of fight miles on him. He's got a lot of time in the octagon. But like, 
you know, I feel like the Derek Lewis is going to fall off that cliff. It could be coming soon. Mm. And when it happens, I feel bad. like it could be pretty precipitous. It's, it's, you know, it's when it, when it happens, it's going to happen. And I'm not saying we're there yet, but I don't know. He, he's, he's a, he's really, he's at a really interesting point in his career right now. Like seeing this fight is really interesting to me, partially for that reason, because we've got, we've got Sergei Pavlovich, who's what, I think 30 years old, something like that, which is quite young for heavyweight. He's obviously yeah. very athletic, very powerful, very promising. We've got Derek Lewis, who's quite capable of putting the kid out, but quite capable of being put out here. And where's he, where's his head at and where's where is he really at in his career right now and i don't know it's it's interesting it's it's and i mean i it wouldn't surprise me but i guess i felt this way for years already Derek lewis just suddenly retiring without anybody seeing it coming wouldn't surprise me at all really i mean just being like nah, nah, i'm done good you know so who knows well, i mean if you if you think back on Derek's career ultimate i mean i think it was back before hold on a second here it was the think it was after the Roy Nelson fight um he was or maybe it was going into the Mark Hunt fight I can't remember but right around that time period he said that he only had a couple specific goals like he wanted to he wanted to pay off his house wanted to pay off his house and yep. as soon as his house was paid off he's like I'm yep. done I'm done and there was like this big thing like how like almost like a motivated BJ Penn thing like how motivated can Derek Lewis possibly be he came back put some wins together and they're like oh okay um yeah, so there's, it's tough. It's a tough spot to try to get a beat on him. I completely agree. Let me ask you this, um, and then we'll, we'll move past this one. I, I, I've this is a a hill I've I've fought and battled on many times. If Derek Lewis decides to hang it up on Saturday night, is Derek Lewis a Hall of Famer? I think yes. Mm, I agree. I think yes. Like. It, and you know that it's one of those things that if I if I really sat down and and dug through the numbers and stuff, I I feel like I feel like I'd still come to that conclusion. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of I mean he's got the most he's got the most knockouts in in he's got the most knockouts in history, right? In in any weight class, and you know I, I mean obviously there's no like specific criteria that even really goes into the Hall of Fame, but he's got that one record that's really impressive. Um, he's he's beat some good fighters, he's lost to some good fighters, but you, you know it's. I, I was arguing with somebody about this on Twitter who was saying that Cerrone's not a Hall of Famer, and it's like, which is ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely yeah, ridiculous. That's that's, a, that's an and all time bad take. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, and I was like, and, and he was like, yeah, he was like really popular or whatever, but he lost all these fights and stuff. And I was like, dude, it's called the Hall of Fame. It's not <laughs> called the Hall of Champions or the Hall of Accomplishments and whatever. Right. Like Derek Lewis is a, a fan favorite. People love him. Correct. Yeah, I th- I think yeah. I think he's a Hall of Famer. That's a, that's a great question. I'd never thought about whether Derek Lewis was a Hall of Famer, but but I had a pretty easy time coming to an answer to that question when you asked me. Yeah, I I just I, I kind of just like I said, he just he is a. I mean, we'll we'll just exclude Barry Bonds here. Uh, but if you want to talk about other traditional style sports, I mean, if it's if you're in baseball and you're the all time leader in home runs, there's a good chance you're going to make the Hall of Fame. And there's nothing more. Um, you know, pronounced in the combat sports arena than finishing fights. So if you are the number one finisher in a, in history and ultimately, you know, the sport and the promotion are, are one and the same in this instance with the UFC and MMA. I mean, realistically, that's the hall of fame is just tied to that. Um, if you're the, the top knockout artist of all time, I mean, you, you, you deserve a spot. So, 
and I think you can also make an argument that, you know, I'd have to sit down and go through some names, but off the top of my head, I can't think of anybody else who comes close. Derek Lewis has got to be in all of UFC history, the number one overachiever. Is he not? <laughs> Matt I mean, Sarah, maybe. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. As far as, yeah, but th that was kind of just that one, <laughs> that one moment. Right. But like, as far as a guy that, that probably shouldn't be as good as he is, mm. you know what I mean? A, gu mm -hmm. a guy that like, that when you get right down to it, doesn't really have a deep skill set. Isn't mm -hmm. really, he's really good at one thing and he's been mm -hmm. able to turn that into a long and storied and record breaking career. Like it's, I mean, it's because it's at heavyweight, it wouldn't yeah. work in another weight class, but even so like the, the guy has just consistently uh, defied expectation for years. Yeah. Yeah. Nico Montaigne is the other one. The only one that really outside of Matt Sarah that pops up just yep. like this. <laughs> Way just how is that even possible? But, Former uh, UFC champion Nico yeah. Montano, like yeah. what? <laughs> Dude. Oh man! And then just just like famously turning down fights too. Like I will not fight Shevchenko. Like I just will not do it. Which is just the the wildest thing. Almost like uh, Jermaine Durand and me refusing to fight Cyborg. Just like not going to do it. You can have the belt. <laughs> not going to do it. Could you imagine that? That's just the craziest thing to me. Right. To say I won't do it. I'm calling that bluff. All right, let's get let's get in the co-main in the main co-main event of the evening. Brandon Moreno, nineteen six and two, taking on Kai Car France at twenty four and nine. I believe I went I went first. I think the, I think this one's yours, is it not? I think so. Okay, another flyweight one. I know they're okay. Yep. Let's get that out of the way. They're fast, so let's they're get that fast. out of the way. They're fast. Okay, so minus the fact that both these guys are fast, what else is going to happen on Saturday? I don't I didn't really see anything specific in the tape that makes me think that the fight's going to go a whole lot differently than it did last time. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, they've, you know, they've, they've, they've both improved. I mean, Kai Kara France has, you know, another guy that's kind of defied expectations. Not that we didn't know he was good to begin with, but I think he's ended up being uh, better than a lot of people thought he was better than I thought he was anyway. But so, you know, I, I mean, Kai Kara France is he's he's always live to 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 catch anyone to to hurt him to knock him down to knock him out, um, you know I I won't be surprised if he has his moments of success in this fight, but uh, you know Moreno is obviously extremely difficult to hurt, extremely difficult to put away, but it's another spot where you know Moreno sits at minus two ten, um, yeah you know I I don't love that line. But at the same time, I do this as a gambler, and I think a lot of us do. Like, I don't want to play a money line that doesn't have value straight up, but Get I parlay there. money lines that don't have value all the Get time. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, like, yep. I don't love this line. I wouldn't play it straight. I probably shouldn't parlay it. But um, on a card where I'm having a hard time finding bets that I like, I may end up parlaying Moreno here anyway, right? You know, like. That's it? Okay. <laughs> That's good. No, I I can see that. I can see that. Um, I'm going. I, I disagree with you though. So I <laughs> I think I think that the, I think that Kai's a, a live dog here. Um, and the reason why I think that is the intangibles, right? Skill set wise, we have no reason to believe that this fight is going to go any different than the first one, right? Um, with Kai busted up, eye swollen, Moreno a little bit tagged, a little bit battered, but ultimately unscathed, right? We have no reason to believe anything otherwise. My thing with this is, is that 
Kai is ha, hasn't sat at the table yet. He's always been outside the club waiting to get in, right? Moreno and Figueredo have been dancing around the flyweight title picture for the better part of three years now. Yep. Why Kai Carfronts has been in contender purgatory while they ran rematch after unnecessary rematch after interim title fight after you know the Benavidez not like Kai's just been sort of circling right and of all the guys with the exception of Riddell and Blood Diamond who we're going to talk about here in a couple minutes um, he's the only one out of that team that hasn't eaten yet he's the only guy that hasn't really been invited to the big show he's the only guy that hasn't made it to the club yet and he's he's going to fight in my opinion, with a chip on his shoulder. He's the one guy in this fight that's going to be angry enough to make something happen unexpected. Moreno will approach this the way he always does, right? This new thing where he's got his hands out in front of him, this new this yeah. new Moreno thing that he does. Yeah, this new, I'm not sure what to do with my hands, this Ricky Bobby defense that he's got. I'm not really sure what that is, but Moreno's going to come out. He's going to move the head off the center line, throw the hands out, do whatever. But Kaikar France is fighting mad, right? Like he's mad still. Moreno's not mad. Moreno, in my opinion, has tasted, you know, it's one thing to be hungry and try to get the meal. It's one thing to, to, to have the meal and want it again, right? And I think that Kai is, I think he's hungry enough. I think he's angry enough. And I think he wants his shot. Like, I think he wants to solidify it because if not, right, if Kai loses this fight, He's pretty much done as far as title fights go, right? You, you've moved, you've relegated yourself to Benavidez status, where short of something mm-hmm. anomalous happening, you're never going to get a title shot again. Um, but I, I really don't. I, I don't. I just I want to take a chance. I want to take take a chance on the story. I want to take a chance on the anger, and I want to take a chance on the fact, like like you said, it's hard to do. Um, I think that is it. Mar- I think it's Marvin Hagler that said it. It's, I've heard it attributed to a million different people, but it's hard to get up and do road work when you're sleeping on silk sheets. Or in mm-hmm. Brandon Moreno's instance, it's hard to go to the gym whenever you got Legos to build. It's very much the same thing. Uh, I'm going to take a chance on Kai Car France here. I, I think he might be the little brother trying to impress his big brothers um, at you know at a city kickboxing. But I will take that chance. Seeing having a little brother and seeing how hard like because you know, other sports that we grew playing or played growing up, growing up, seeing how hard he tried in order to like keep up with me or try to impress me, that little brother mentality on top of being angry, on top of having a chip on his shoulder, on top of wanting to solidify his name, legacy, the whole nine, right? Brandon Moreno's already been flyweight champ. Nobody can ever take that away from him, right? What do you say? Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, and maybe not next month, but I will be champ, right? Like, it's, but I, I promise you this, Pedro, like he said, I mean, that already happened, right? The achieve, believe, conceive, all that Michael Bisping shit has already happened for Brandon Moreno. Kai Car France's time is now. Interim title fight gets him gets him with the dance with Figgy. I think he gets it done on Saturday. I'm going to take a chance on him here, plus 180. I'm going to get take a chance, taking a chance on love. Awesome. I have I have two I have two responses. That, well, one one thing I want to say and one thing I want to ask. The thing that I want to say is, I love that that angle that you just laid out there. And it's the kind of thing that I wouldn't have thought of. And like, that's why I'm, I'm really glad that I came on the show to talk to you about these fights. And it's really awesome to, you know, some cappers are like, they don't want to like listen to other shows and hear other people's thoughts and stuff. And man, I always hear 
angles and ideas and things that I just don't think of when I listen to other people. And one area where I'm really lacking is a lot of that kind of like big picture stuff. Mm. You know, I don't, I don't a lot of times think about, uh, you know, the camp and who they're training with. And I, I don't, I don't think about stuff like that a lot of the time. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. Cause I think that's an excellent point. And then the other thing I want to say is I want to ask you, okay, so you said Kai Car France money line plus one eighty. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can be had for by KO at plus four seventy five. Mm-hmm. Are you thinking we fight? You're thinking decision. Yeah, I think that I think yeah. decision. I think I think that Moreno is smart enough. Um, and again, we, we're talking about five round experience here, right? He's got the experience now. He knows how to. He'll know how to pace himself. Um, I think we we honestly might have a situation where things are dicey going into round five where things are dicey towards the middle of round four, where we're not entirely sure because round one in a, in a fight like this could essentially kind of be a wash, right? Where we go into it round two going maybe 10, nine Moreno, maybe 10, nine Kai, you know, there might not be an emblematic statement of domination in each and every one of these rounds, but I can't help but think that the bigger moments throughout the fight, the bigger moments, especially because to be honest with you, if we look at the Moreno, if we look at the last fight between Moreno and Figgy, Moreno's like legendary durability appears to be waning a little bit. Like he's getting stung. Like he's getting stung more so than normal uh, than it used to be. And and Kai is feeling himself hands. I mean, coming off a big knockout of Cody Garbrandt, like he hit C- Cody like a truck, man. He shook his shit. Um, that's a, re- that, you know, when you carry that confidence and do so with that chip, you know what I mean? Like I got something to prove and I got the skills to do it. And I know it cause I just proved it right. Moreno is not going to be faster um, than, than Garbrandt. He just, he won't be, but we just know that um, obviously the wrestling will be there. The length will be there a little bit, but I'm, I'm taking intangibles here. I'm just going to take intangibles. I do want to address something in the, in the chat real quick. Um, why did Figgy lose the belt? I can't remember. I know it was a story, but I can't remember. I don't think he's lost it. This will be for the interim, correct? This isn't. This is. Is this? Un, this isn't going undisputed, right? This will be an interim title. So. Yeah, I think, I th- yeah. Um, yeah, interim flyweight championship between the two of these, and I think the part of it came from Figgy being hurt. Um, he's got those chronic handbrakes, um, and then he also well, there was like a little contract negotiation might move up the bantamweight rumbling as well. So there's something happening there. There's an additional couple layers to that onion. But I think the big one is is a hand issue, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Figgy has this weird thing where like his hands don't break like boxer breaks. He's breaking up here, which is weird, like breaking thumbs, like a Cub Swanson hand break. Anyway, that's two Cub Swanson references in one episode. All right. <laughs> Main event of the evening, the rematch between Juliana Pena at 11-4, taking on Amanda Nunes at 21-5 and for the women's bantamweight strap. Um. Nunez at a minus 285, Pena at a plus 245. I'm inclined to believe that Juliana Pena can win this fight again based on the skill sets that we saw, but I think her lose or I think Amanda losing last time was due to her own ignorance and lack of really fight intelligence, more so than it was Juliana Pena doing anything really to win the fight. Her striking is I mean. I feel like by calling it rudimentary, I'm I'm hyping it up too much. It's not good. It's real like like and oh you fucking podcaster talking about striking. Let me see you throw a punch. I listen to me when I tell you this. Juliana Pena's striking is not good. 
it's not good. It, I don't think any striking coach in the world is looking at her form and going, yep, yeah, you got hands, girl. You got hands. Like, like if, I mean, I don't I, I can't oh I can't state I can't overstate this enough. It's not good. It's not good. And I think Amanda went out there and threw everything hard because for the last three years preceding that fight, every time she went out there and threw hard and hit people, they fell down. She didn't have to fight. She didn't have to fight smart. She didn't have to do anything other than go out there and I'm just gonna swing real hard. And if I hit you, you're gonna fall down. Well, she went out there and she swung real hard and Juliana didn't fall down. So she didn't have a plan B. She didn't have a plan C. She just went out there and thought that was going to happen. It didn't happen. She wore herself out. And if you looked at her, if you watch that fight again, she's smiling while she's losing. She's like, shit, I can't believe I'm just, <laughs> I just I can't believe I fucked it up this bad. Like, this is so stupid. I'm going to lose this fight. Like, there's a there's that midway point where you see it in that round where she hits her. And then uh, uh, Juliana sticks her with that jab for like the third time. And she starts smiling. She's like, yep. I'm going to lose this fight. I'm going to lose this fight because I don't have any, I don't have anything else to do here. Um, and then ultimately Juliana got the win. Um, I can't see that happening twice. I, I just cannot see it happening twice. I'm going to take Nunes here. I just, it's a feel good story. I, I yay for that. You, you know, Juliana Pena had her Michael Bisping moment. Good for you. You've been in the sport for a lifetime, battled through injuries, adversity, You brought your kid into the cage. The hearts, the feels, oh, your swollen eyeball. I loved it. It was a great moment in the sport. But MMA doesn't give a shit about feelings. And you're going to see Juliana Pena get her face cracked open on Saturday night. Amanda Nunes is coming back with a vengeance. She's going to rip her face off, bro. Dude, in in your discussion there, you focused on exactly what I think is like <laughs> the big question in capping this fight. Is It comes down to, really, it comes down to what happened to Amanda Nunes, how much did Pena have to do with making that happen, and can she do it again? I mean, yeah. that, that's really what that, that's really what this fight comes down to, I think. And yeah, it was. I, I really think it was largely what you said. You know, she she kind of she kind of blew her wad in round one, and mm -hmm. things didn't go the way that she thought it was going to. And then all of a sudden, she's getting cracked in round two, and she and she she didn't know what to do. Yeah, I mean, that's it, it was just kind of like this is a spot that I'm not accustomed to being in. Mm -hmm. I'm Amanda Nunes. This doesn't happen to me. <laughs> and then and then crap. And then she kind of gave up. And yeah, it's, like you said, I'm a I'm a I'm a fat guy sitting in my podcasting chair here talking about Amanda <laughs> Nunes gave up. <laughs> but I mean, she, but she but she did. You know, yeah. I mean, she yes. did. And 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 when you know, before doing the tape on this fight, I was like I was like, okay, yeah, I for sure have to lean Nunes here because I just think I just think Nunes kind of shit the bed a little bit and I don't think Pena had a whole lot to do with making it happen. And then after watching the tape, I started thinking about it more and I was like, is it a, is it a replicable performance? Like mm. maybe it is, but, but yeah, I, I think, I, I think it's likely had a lot to do with, with Nunes's preparation and just mindset. And, you know, she probably thought she was going to walk through her, right? She probably thought this was one of the easiest fights no. she was ever going to have. And yeah, it's, it's hard to see her making that mistake again. Sicky said in the chat there, Nunes is better in every single aspect of MMA fight IQ cardio. Yeah, like it's um, unless Pena is able to, you know, drag Nunes into super deep waters here and, and, and Nunes gasses herself. Yeah, barring stuff getting a little bit weird like that. Yeah, I think Amanda does come out and win here. But at the same time, I don't I don't love where the I don't love where the line is at either. Yeah. Um, yeah. I might have to look at some props on this one and see if there's anything goofy that I feel like taking a shot at, but I think I'm just going to stay away and have fun with this one. 
I think so. So two things I want to, I want to address the women's science people right now. Okay. Because I can already, I can already feel the DMS coming when I realize fucking Dale, I said women's <laughs> science. I can, t- I already know. I already know. I can hear you already guys. I, I, the, Think of the caveat that I've been saying when it comes to women's science. 100% play women's underdogks, right? That the only women that should ever be capped minus 250 and higher. Shevchenko, Nunez, GDR, Cyborg, Kayla Harrison. Outside of those, that the four horse women of the apocalypse, no woman, no woman should ever be capped higher than a minus 250. And I understand you're saying, well, Juliana Pena, minus 245. She might be able to get a win. It's women's science. If you hit that, I will congratulate you. Look, fucking here it comes. I knew it. I, I just... <laughs> I, I, I know they're coming. I, I will congratulate you. You can have it. That you can have your moment in the sun, sure. But I'm betting Amanda Nunes this week. I'm just going to do it because I don't like you said. I don't think it's a replicable performance for Julian Opinion. Now, the X factor, and I'll, I'll, I'll move on from this. Is what if Julian Opinion comes out and wrestles from the get go? Like says, to hell with punching. To hell with trying to make you tired by hitting me. I'm just going to come in and blast double you right off the right off the rip or try to anyway and just go you know what last time i wanted to test myself and before i knew it we were in a fist fight now i know that you're completely inept on the ground compared to me i'm going to just take you down and just we're just going to get this over with quick fast in a hurry um i under two and a half i like under two and a half here because i think amanda Nunez's best shots to win the fight are going to be early when she's when she's hitting harder and then uh I, I think that Nunez is going to win in doing so. But also the flip side of that is, is that even if her performance is, a, if both these women's are, their performance is a, is a carbon copy of last time will end under two and a half. So I think under two and a half here is probably a good caveat play. If you don't want to pick an individual participant for this, for this fight. What's that line at? Uh, minus one fifteen. Okay. Yeah. It's pretty much a coin flip to go over or under two yeah. and a half. Okay. So I, I'm I'm lean. I like that seems palatable to me. If you don't love a minus two eighty five woman, um, and then you don't necessarily. I mean, I called. I, I said the Pena thing was going to happen last time. So she's a unicorn, but you know, unicorns didn't get on the arc. So that's why. Anyway, all right. So let's break down the prelims. Let's let's run through these here, and we'll we'll let these fine people get on with their evening. Orion Kosi taking on Blood Diamond. Blood Diamond at three and one. Orion Kosi. Is it Orion or Orion? Orion. Orion. Yeah. Orion. Orion Kosi. <laughs> minus 178 taking on Blood Diamond at minus 153. Overrun rounds at one and a half. Now, I will not bury the lead with this. I know you are torn on this fight. So I want to hear you flesh this out for me because I see it. I see it clear in my third eye. I know what's going to happen here. I want to hear you flesh this one out for me. What do you got? Well, yeah, my thoughts on this were I, I've seen a lot of people really confident in Kosi here, and and it seems odd to me because he's still sitting at like minus one seventy, which is where he's been sitting for a while. It seems like everybody's betting on him, but why is he still at minus one seventy? If mm-hmm. and 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 yeah, I just made a Twitter post about this. Um, you know, basically, like, okay, I'm not I'm not convinced that Kosi's going to be able to like. Can he get a takedown? Maybe, probably, but. I don't think it's going to be as easy and as black and white as a lot of people are, are putting it out to be. Um, and people are making it sound like an obvious play, like, oh, Kosi's just going to come out there and drag him down to the ground and it's going to be over with. If Kosi drags him out to the ground, sure, it probably is over with. Like, you know, Blood Diamond versus Jeremiah Wells, 
you know, once Wells got him to the ground, it, it was, it was pretty easy pickings, but he did struggle to get him there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course where it, it, it took, I, I just watched that fight today because I wanted to make sure I was remembering that, right. It took him almost two minutes of, 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 uh, clinching and trying to trip and whatever. But, but of course it was also, you know, people pointed out that like, yeah, but he was also just like muscling it. He wasn't, you know, he didn't, he didn't try for a single leg. He wasn't trying to trip. He pretty much just grabbed underhooks and was just like leaning back and forth until he got, so fair enough. Yeah. That's, that's a fair point. Um, so, so yeah, this might be one of those spots where like, I'm letting the line scare me a little bit. Cause I'm like, it, it, it just, if you, if what everyone is saying is, is, is right, then it feels too good to be true. Like should Kosi mm. be minus 170? Like it just feels, I don't, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts? I want to hear what you're thinking here. Cause yeah, like I'm after hearing a bunch of people's thoughts on like, yeah, I think Kosi's going to be able to get takedowns easily. Then I'm like, well, then why am I not making a bet on him at minus 170? Like it feels like a great spot if that, if that read is right. Right. Well, I think I think the well spot against Blood Diamond in retrospect was one of the best spots that we were likely ever going to get. Um, in 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 the sense that, like, um, I'll, I'll say it like, you know, the Jim Miller versus Cowboy spot. I I know when you get to like that minus two hundred range, a lot of people don't view that as as a great spot. But if if we put it comparatively speaking, to say like the stock market, we're getting fifty cents on the dollar for return. I, this, there are, these are spots where you unload and make, you know, you make your nut that carries you through for a long time. And the Wells spot over Blood Diamond, if we think about this now, I mean, obviously we've seen what Jeremiah Wells is capable of, but in, in retrospect, a guy like Blood Diamond, three and oh, a kickboxing, a professional kickboxing win. And he's going up against a guy that trains with Sean Brady with 11 career wins this guy's three and a, there's just no, there's just no reason why people should not have just backed the Brinks truck up with Jeremiah Wells money. And then we come out and we see blood diamond fight. And there was nothing in that fight that would indicate that you should not feel differently about that against anybody else. Now I'm not saying that like, like I'm not saying that blood diamond is like CM punk level. Right. Talented <laughs> enough. I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is, is that, if you look at the way CM Punk fought Mickey Gall, there's no reason for you to believe that when he fought Mike Jackson, it was going to go any differently, regardless of how far of a step down in competition that was. There was nothing that was presented in the first time that should make you believe that you're going to see something different the second time. And if I look at Blood Diamond's wins, right, as a, as a professional, um, he w- wins over Dimps Gillis, right, and Hyung Min Hyung. And then his other win was over against a guy named Joe Van Duen. Joe Van Duen has a losing record all time, hasn't fought in forever. Uh, his win over Hyoman Wong was that guy's very first fight. And then the the win over Dimps, the guy was four and one. So it's the only quality win that he's got. You know, that's it. That's it. Um, I mean, and then if you're looking at Orion, his loss came against Phil Rowe, who we now know to be pretty talented mm-hmm. um now gas tank is an issue um if he can't secure the takedown we know that that might be a problem but it, i think this i i understand your point completely because i see this all the time and it makes me wonder and there's a handful of people that i try to bounce stuff off of this on if i love something so much and everybody else seems to be loving it too why why do we all feel this way and nobody's caught on like how how is this 
is it too good to be true? And that makes me that makes me scared. So I'm gonna play I'm gonna play Orion. Um but I'm not going to play him as big as I should be. And I will gladly eat crow on the back end and say I should have played it way bigger than I have. Um, and then if Blood Diamond comes out there and does some Blood Diamondy shit, I'll be like, wow, I dodged a bullet there. You know, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna take marginal wins and just keep it moving. I'm not gonna overthink it. Yeah, that's a good call. Cause yeah, I, I keep thinking like just based on what I what a lot of people's read seems to be on this fight and how people are capping this fight. How is I, is Orion Kosi not like a minus three fifty favorite or something yeah. at this point? Yeah. Or, and, and, you know, maybe that line's going to climb, but it really hasn't been moving. And it yeah, like, I, I think I'm just overthinking it because of, because of that line, but yeah, yeah. good points. Okay. Nick, Nick Mariano taking on Ehor Patira, Patira, Patira. I'm not sure. 20 and two uh, for Ehor and then 12 and one for Nikolai Nick Now, that being said, I, I've I've been a pretty staunch supporter of Nega Murano since he came into the UFC because he's gritty and he'll fight and he's not afraid of a firefight. And if you stand there and bang, um, he will try to outsuffer you. Now, I've heard rumblings that Ehor's record is bullshit, that he is not um, that you know, some of the guys that he's fought have been pretty suspect, that it's not and it, admittedly, um, because you know I'm not a big, I'm not a big tape guy. Um, I, I'm not going back into the annals of time and seeing where, you know, in mountain lion FC to see who he beat and how he beat them. I just, I don't care enough about it. Um, if I look at a guy with big show experience, uh, and I look at a guy that I know, I know nigga Marion is going to fight for my money. I, I know he is. And he's, he's an underdog spot here. And it's against a guy that I know has a padded record or fought a lot of cans making his promotional debut. I'm going to take the dog with the experience that will fight for me anytime. And I know it's not a super technical breakdown. I don't have a lot for this one, but the reason why is because as soon as this Igor guy stepped in, I was like, I'm still on Mega Mariana. I'm going to take him every time. I just, not every time, but I, I consistently play him because he will fight for my money or he'll die trying. So I'm cool with it. Yeah, and, and and you're getting that that classic uh, contender series fade situation here too, where yep. the where the contender series fighter is favored over the over the veteran, um, and yeah, this it, I feel similarly to kind of what you said. Like I I don't think highly of Mega Mariano's skill set necessarily, but he's you know he's a little undersized for the division. But yeah, like you said, he we know he'll fight hard and we know he, he can fight hard for 15 minutes. We don't, we don't know that about Ehor. Like I, he has uh, gone to decision a handful of times and he's even won some decisions, but they were against O and O and like O and three and two and three kind of fighters, you know, like, and, sure. um, and I, I think as far as just skill for skill, if we're not looking at all at level of competition and the fact that uh, Nega Mariano has been in the UFC for a little while now, like Ehor is, he's bigger, he's quicker. He's a little more athletic. He he might be the better fighter in some ways, mm. but but um but yeah, it's it's one of those spots where it's it's just hard to know how much that matters because yeah, is he going to come out and 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 look to make a big statement here, and then when he finds out he can't get Nega Mariano out of there, and now he's got a tough, gritty veteran who can go hard, you know, fifteen hard minutes in front of him, is he going to crumble? Yeah, it's overall, I it's a spot where I'm left with. Uh, I'm left with a lot of questions and, and it's, it's a spot that I'm going to stay away from. And it's a spot where I'm going to take the opportunity to just learn a little bit more about Ehor Poteria, who he is and what he is and isn't capable of. So yeah, it's a, it's a stay away for me, but it should I'll be like, a fun fight. Yeah. I, I think violence is a, is a good bet here. Um, mm -hmm. And inside the distance play seems, 
seems to be a good spot. Uh, you're obviously going to probably get it pretty minus money, but you know, if you're in, if you're into violence money to, to make a, uh, to make a little bit of beer money, I think it's, I think it's a good spot. All right. First women's underdog chance, like a legitimate one we have for the, for the, for the night G and Kim taking on Jocelyn Edwards, Edwards at, uh, 11 and four Kim at nine, five and two Kim at a plus plus one ten here. Edwards at a minus one thirty, and I'll let you go first here, but I kind of just, you know, told you where I was leaning here, but yeah, you, you already know where I go on women's underdogs, man. So go for it. Yeah. It's it, I'm, I'm in the same boat. If I'm reading you there, um, I think Gian Kim is simply the better fighter here of the two. Um, Jocelyn Edwards. It, I mean, in her last, performance against my girl Ramona Pasquale um she basically she just threw front kicks to the gut and side kicks to the legs and then every so often would just kind of rush forward and throw a few punches and then just go back it's just 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 weird it just it was just a weird performance and at at least I know um Gian Kim is she's she's high volume Mm -hmm. um she she misses a lot you know she does it she's not necessarily super accurate but she puts a lot of punches out there um she's got a reasonably long reach she's got you know pretty good decent technical pretty good snap on her punches um it's a spot where i i do feel like i'm missing something a little bit because the line seems weird to me like yeah Gian kim at plus 110 um i saw her up even, even up at plus 120 i don't know if she's still available at that line or not but it seems like a spot, like, I don't think it's a spot where there should be a huge chasm between them on the line, but it feels like a spot where Kim should be a, a small favorite, if anything, to me. Um, I haven't bet this fight yet, but it's a spot that I'm, it's, it's a spot that I'm kind of trying to stay away from a little bit just because of sort of women's science reasons. Like it's a, it's a fight that's going to play out closely. It's probably going to be pretty ugly. It could go either way. But if, if I get to a point where Gion Kim is like maybe plus 130 or something, I'll, I'll probably take the shot. I'm going to fire on her anyway. Um, as long as she stays the underdog, if she, if she flips over to the favorite, I won't play Jocelyn Edwards. Um, oh shit. I'm just going to play whoever the underdog underdog is on Saturday. We'll just, <laughs> I'll wait and then I'll put this out on Saturday and then I'll, I'll play the underdog, whoever it is. That being said, if I look at law, like the losses that Gian Kim's had, right. And she's had quite a few since she's been in the promotion. Um, Luciana Podolova, Antonina Shevchenko, Grosso, Molly McCann and Priscilla Cachoeira. Right. So, it seems like the experiment with her initially was to give her women that fight at range, right? Like Pudalova fights at range. Shevchenko fights at range. Agrosso, Alexa Grosso fights at range. And then they gave her very aggressive women in Molly McCann and Priscilla Cachoeira. So it was like, if, if I can't get close to you, I have a hard time. And then if you come at me all crazy, I have a hard time. But if you're willing to just fight me, like just kind of keep everything in second gear, third gear, you know, 45, 55 on the highway and cruise control, I can win that fight, right? And who did she beat like that? She beat Nadia Kossum like that. She beat Melinda Fabian like that. And she beat Justine Kish like that. She's like, if you're going to just chill in the middle, we're going to put it in cruise control. That's a fight I can win. I can't, I can't catch up and I can't keep up, you know, but if we're going to stay, I'll just, I'll be right here. And I think, I think that, Jocelyn Edwards is that dance partner, right? Like you said in the Ramona fight, she didn't really do anything to win the fight. Um, like t- she didn't do anything to beat Ramona. Ramona just didn't do anything to win the fight. So if Jocelyn Edwards just comes back out there and just throws side kicks and teep kicks to the body, I like uh, w- again women's underdogs. It's always 50-50 anyway. 
screw it, give it to me. Just give it to I, I'm I'm cool with playing the underdog, whoever it is here on Saturday. Yep, I like it. All right, Michael Morales taking on Am, uh, Adam Fugit. Fugit, Fugit. <laughs> it's great last name, man. Fugit, Fugit. Thirteen and zero for Michael Morales. Fugit getting the eight and two spot here. Uh, for the record, Michael Morales, biggest favorite on the card, I believe, minus six fifty, taking on Adam Fugit at four twenty plus four twenty five, over and around at one and a half. Morales is the is the prospect. They're going to push him. I know there's some people out there that are, that are saying Adam's a live dog here, um, but Morales, for all intents and purposes, seems to be the real deal. Even though he's super young and kind of unpolished, I mean, he looks every bit the 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 future uh, potential star. Really, I hate to uh, tag that you know moniker on somebody so early in their career, but uh, Morales looks good, man. Every time we see him, he's he's got the look, he's got the he's got the feel, he's got the skills. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, fuck, it's going to be close and aggressive for probably about four minutes, but this is too it's too short notice, man. It's too short a notice against. On too big of a stage, you're not even the curtain jerker. I mean, you're the crowd will be good and riled up a couple beers in by the time they fight. Uh, things are going to get dicey, man. I like Morales here. Yeah, this is you know the the line is sitting in a similar spot to the Ankalaev and Smith fight, and I feel about the same way about it. Like, yeah, Michael Morales absolutely should win here. Um, um, he uh, the price tag shows that. I you know I don't think that there's any you don't really get much value putting that minus 650 into a parlay like it's it's not something that i'm interested in like it's this is a line where i have to start looking at props and i've I, i've looked at some props here or well actually i don't think that props have dropped on my book for this yet but um i are you familiar with fugit at all i know you're not really a tape guy did you watch anything on him at all i haven't i've just i've seen a couple of people that i follow on in, like instagram and, and twitter that i think kind of know what they're talking about saying that this isn't the most pushover win that it could have been yeah he's he definitely he definitely has some skills. He's good good Muay Thai skills. Like he's a dude. Right. Who, he he's he's also a a, a wrestler, and I, I think I even heard he has a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belt. I don't know if that's true or not, but okay. he has that very very um literally carries himself like a uh, a Muay Thai character in a video game. Mm. I mean, he has the high shoulders and the light front leg and the whole mm. yeah like a whole Muay Thai thing going on, but. So, so his last fight, he knocked out Solomon Renfro in 43 seconds, which sounds really impressive. But if you watch that fight, it is not impressive. Okay. He, he literally, it's, so it lasts 43 seconds. He literally throws a left head kick followed by a left, um, he's a he, he's a southpaw. He throws a left head kick followed by a left cross. And he does it like 12 times in a row in 40 seconds. Mm. He just keeps throwing the same kick and the same punch. And then, but maybe, maybe that's why he was able to land because he hypnotized him with his left kick, left punch. And then right. he finally throws one right punch and that's, he throws one right hook and that's the one that dropped that's him. But dropped it was him. just, it. it was a weird performance and it was not very impressive, but I watched some of his older fights and yeah, the guy has some skills, but I, I don't think I'm not convinced that he's ready to contend at this level. Um, and yeah, like you said, Morales is young. I mean, he's a guy, he's, he's still he's still somewhat green. He, he's still prone to making 23 year old kid mistakes, but, sure. but yeah, he's a much, he's a much better fighter than Fugit. And um, yeah, this is a spot where if I was gonna bet something, um, you know, if they released a Adam Fugit by KO prop, that was like plus 1200 or something, I might take a sprinkle on that just for fun, but I think it's going to be a stay away from me. Few, uh, let's see. Betway has Fugit inside the distance at plus 600. That's the only thing I'm seeing right now. So, oh yeah, I'm I'm not interested in that. 
Yeah. All right. Let's move. Let's get these last two out of the way, and then we can camp on Dober here for a second. Uh, Dracar close taking on Hoffa Garcia. Garcia at fourteen and two. Dracar close at twelve two and one. Um, I think I went first this last one. So that's you, buddy. What you got? It's. Do you know is is Hoffa Garcia short notice here? Mm, give me one second. Maybe here. somebody in the chat knows. I thought he. I, I thought I heard. Yes, because it was supposed to be Dracar close versus Diego Ferreira. Okay. Okay, yeah, and this is a fight like I, I like Dracar closer. What he's sitting at minus two hundred. Okay, that's what he was last time I looked to. It, it's another spot where I feel like I mostly agree with the line. Um, I don't know if I would parlay. I still have. I still need to go through this whole card and look at all the lines and kind of kind of think about it. Like I don't know if I would parlay close at that line. Like what I like here, I like I like close by decision. And I feel like I looked up that uh, his decision prop was only sitting at like minus one twenty five. So that's not a that's you know I would need a little bit a little bit more meat right. on that bone in order to be interested in that one. But I do think Close probably should win here. You know, I mean he's pretty well rounded. He hits hard. He's 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 good in the clinch. He's he's good at just kind of slowing things down and leaning on you and making you carry his weight. And, and and I think he should be able to do that here on his way to a decision. But this is a fight that I I don't have a ton of interest in from a betting perspective. Close is a guy that I can never get a read on, on how good I think he is. Um, he can That's a little bit where I'm at too. <laughs> I, I just really can't figure it out. Um, I, he also is shacked up with Courtney Casey who can never win a fight. And I think losing is contagious. And that, that, bo- that bothers me a lot. Um, it's, it makes for a weird household when one of you wins a lot and one of you loses all the time. So Courtney Casey, um, you know, as you know, couldn't buy a win in the octagon. And then Dakar Close, obviously coming off the loss to Benil Dariush. And then his win is over Brandon Jenkins, who he was like a minus 900 over Brandon Jenkins. So that's not like a bounce back fight for me. Um, he's also a guy that moves camps a lot, which I don't like that inconsistency. You can make the argument that maybe he's getting better coaching, seeing different looks, getting better sparring partners. You can, I see that, but ultimately you got to have a home, right? You got to have a place you can mm-hmm. go home. You got to have a place where you can rest your head. That makes me a little nervous. Um, Hoffa Garcia has got a little bit of momentum right now, which is interesting, right? Coming off, um, back-to-back wins over Nathan Levy and Jesse Ronson. I know a lot of people were on Ronson in that Ronson fight and or in that fight, and he came out and he looked great against Jesse. Um, and then in the Nathan Levy fight, who's a very creative striker, um, he you know got the win. But but both losses on his career and in the octagon, Nazareth Hack Brass, Chris Grootsmacher, and you know what they are? They're grinders. They're mm-hmm. grinders. And if Dracar Close can come out here and grind, he's going to get the win. Now, Garcia's path to victory is a knockout. Dracar Close, like you said, by decision is probably the route to take. Minus 125, those kind of a stay away. Dog or pass at this point. Yeah, I think I agree with that. What uh, is there an inside the distance yep. prop uh, for Hoffa? Yeah, so Hoffa inside. You want Hoffa inside the distance? Yeah. Plus 425. Plus 425. Okay. Yeah. I'll probably, yeah. That's what I would do if I was going to do it, I think. But yeah, I don't know if I'm interested in that or not. Yeah. I mean, if you look at your car close, only finished by knockout once in his career against Benil Dariush. So, I mean, why. Why bank on that thing happening again? You know what I mean? Like if, if he's been prone to being finished or if he had three out of his four finishes or losses, you know, if he had four losses, he had as an AS2, but if he had 
three out of four losses, say by knockout, I'd be interested in taking it. But I just don't. I'm not going to bet on a guy getting knocked out again when it's only happened once over this, over 15 career fights. I just can't. I can't pull the trigger on it. I'd just take half a money line if I was interested in it at all, which I'm really not. Um, yeah, this this is one of those fights that when it, when I saw it from a bird's eye view, I was like, this just looks like a stay away fight for me. And even the more I dig into it and look at different angles and different props, I'm still like, nah, it's just yeah. nothing. Okay, Dante Mays at nine and four taking on Hamdi Abdelwahab at three and zero. Oh. Heavyweight bout, uh, obviously last second here for Hamdi stepping in, and he is the plus one fifty dog against Dante Mays. Dante Mays, my opinion, does not deserve to be on the UFC roster. He's not a UFC level talent. He's only on it because he's a heavyweight. It's really that simple. Um, and Abdelwahab is another guy where people think that both basically his record and his skill set is fraudulent. To me. I make a violence play here on inside the distance and I, I just keep it moving. I just want to see big boys get tired and, get, and hit each other outside of that. I have no desire or interest in this fight whatsoever. Yeah, I, I did bet Dante Mays here. I got him at minus 140. Sure. I agree with I agree with your read that that he's, you know, Dante, that, that's what's funny about this fight. Dante Mays is not very good. Mm-mm. And um, I watched pretty much all the tape I could find on Hamdi Abdullahab and he is – He's he's not good, Dale. No, he's not. He's not he's good not at good. all. He's not good. <laughs> he's like, he's really bad. <laughs> Don Tail not good either, but Hamdi is really not good. Like, yeah, there are levels bad. to yeah. the shitty here, and yeah, yeah, Hamdi. Like, I mean, he's a you know he he wrestled in the 2016 Rio Olympics for Egypt. Like, I you know I don't imagine right. the, the the wrestling level is real high, but like watching oh, his man. fights, he doesn't even try to wrestle, and he mm-hmm. got taken down by some no name dude in an amateur fight who shot a takedown on him and took him down. Absolutely. No problem. Yeah. And yeah, the guy, the guy just, he comes out and swings hammers and can't, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't belong here. And uh, he got the one fight in the octagon that <laughs> where he got the one fight he could get in the UFC where his uh, opponent is only minus minus one seventy five over him right now. It would yeah. be a much, much bigger number if it was literally anyone else on the roster. Honestly, if, if, if they didn't just announce it, which I don't know if you saw it or not, but they announced Chris Barnett versus Jake Collier. I did see that. Chris Barnett is the type of guy that Hamdi Abdelhab should be fighting. Like that's yeah. the level. That's like if they put that, I'm like, oh, that's a, that's a more compelling matchup than this. This is just two dudes that like I can go to. A, I mean, you can go to a bar in Dallas after this and see a very similar fight. Like the, it'll be a very similar fight will be happening on Saturday night out on the street uh, downtown. So all right. <laughs> I just want to add, this is also one of those spots you mentioned Hamdi being fraudulent. This is also one of those spots where his uh, he's listed at 6'3 on Tapology. Homie is absolutely not 6'3. When they're standing next to each other, Maze is going to be a good six inches taller, I think. Yeah. I yeah, think he's, he's probably six foot, maybe 6'1. He's not 6'3. <laughs> no, no. Okay, featured prelim. Our boy. Um, full disclosure before we break this down. Drew Dober, friend of the show. So I'm just going to say that. Now, do not let that sway your opinion. If you have an opinion, I want to hear it. But Drew Dober at 24 and 11, take on Rafael Alves at 20 and 10. Dober, minus 191 favorite here over Alves, plus 166. That line has been kind of all over the place. Both of these guys have seen action come in on them. Um, over on rounds is at two and a half. I'm going to do this one. I'm just going to lead off the, off the rip here. Um, having the... Having the ability to talk to Drew yesterday, um, headspace wise, because Drew was supposed to come on the show today, uh, but today turned out to be his travel day. So he's going to be on 
Tuesday following this fight. Win, lose, or draw, as he always is, he will be on the show on Tuesday. So I'll get we'll get a chance to talk to him then. Um, but he feels great going in this fight, obviously. Um, Alves has been putting in tons of work. And I asked him, I said, you know, it's a very dangerous fight for you. Why Alves when there's other names out there? And he goes, because Alves is the type of willing dance partner that I can go out there and perform against that keeps my name at the forefront when it comes to exciting fights and what's next, like drew is under the mentality of, if I got to be, I have to be the person or a person that people buy tickets to see. So I want fights that people were going to buy tickets or buy pay-per-views to see. And this is a featured prelim spot. That's where he wants to be. Doesn't want to be on the pay-per-view wants to be on the featured prelim spot because this is what everybody's going to watch. Right? So let me help you sell the pay-per-view by showing you as much violence as I can before I go in that mentality is what makes me love this fight. It loves me. It, it makes me want to play a violence bet and an inside the distance because, you know, Dober's going to be there for it. Alves will be there for it. Um, and ultimately, you've got an unstoppable force meeting an immovable object here because Alves is quick, fast, hits like a truck. Dober, technical, granite chin, and has one punch turn the lights out power these dudes are going to clash like a rhino and a gorilla in the middle of the octagon and we're going to get a fantastic fight on saturday i'm going an inside the distance play here um and then obviously i'll, I'll play a little bit on drew money line but i like i like under two and a half here more than anything else i love this for the, the opportunity for drew to showcase why i believe him to be one of the best lightweights in the world and i want to see violence on saturday night and the guy's promise it's going to happen and i've never had any reason to doubt his word when it comes to what he says is going to happen so violence tenfold on saturday i love that i love that i love that inside info yeah like i see i see this fight as like almost like in a way the the terrence mckinney fight junior kind of mm -hmm. um and and i don't i don't mean that you know rafael elvis being a, a lesser talent that's not what i mean there but like obviously in the in the terrence mckinney fight dober knew he was going to have to deal with somebody coming out like a bat out of hell and looking to finish the fight immediately. Alves is that way a little bit, but, but not, not as constant, you know, he explodes for his moments and then he kind of rests until he's ready to do it again. But yeah, Alves is going to come out and, and, and he's going to explode with those hurricane moments, trying to find that finish, which is why I think this is potentially a great live betting spot. If you've got live betting as an option, because Alves is going to come out and, and probably have a good round one, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, he may, he may drop Dober at some point. He may, you know, he's probably going to have his moments, but um, so you, if you if you like Dober here, I think you'll you might get a good line on him going into the second round. But yeah, I feel the same way. If Alves wins, it's probably going to happen in the first round. If he's not able to get Dober out of there in the first round, then I think uh, you know Dober has he has the power, like you mentioned, but also the the legit tight technical striking, and and that's exactly the kind of thing that works well against a fighter like Alves because you know, like I said, Alves waits and then he explodes, like watching Alves in moments, it reminds me of uh, the, the Vitor Belfort versus Vanderlei Silva fight that, that famous clip of Vitor yeah. running across the cage throwing, you know, right. Alves, Alves does that, that same kind of thing, which is exactly the kind of thing that leaves openings for a, a striker like Dober, who is both technical and powerful. You know, he's, I think that uh, once we get later into the fight, Alves is going to, he's going to create openings that uh, Dober should be able to take advantage of. Yeah. My, my two worry spots in this are the first two minutes of the fight and 50, 50 exchanges. As, mm -hmm. as a as a fan and as a better, I don't want to see Drew engaging in 50-50 spots, like where we saw with the Brad Riddell fight, where they go in 
and we're gonna we're both throwing three punch combos at the same time and it's 50 50 as who's gonna land first who's tighter who's faster it was when those were happening that he was getting caught whenever he was first or he was managed distance correctly and could and and could counter and it wasn't a 50 50 you know it was a reactionary or um proactive we were we were in good shape it was towards the end of the fight in the end of like the second round uh and moving into the third round when every time they came together they would just come together exchange back out exchange back out and then ultimately those 50 50 exchanges started to catch up with them my concern is 50 50 exchanges early in that first two minutes we get through the first two minutes and then we manage a little bit moving out just like maybe a minute two minutes something like that get alves hyped up get that lactic acid building up um I, I think I think the world opens up tenfold for him, um, and I look forward to seeing it on Saturday night. So um, let's just, as we always do, let's run through money lines real quick. Again, you're not beholden to any of these plays, but initial leanings right off the rip, just money lines from top to bottom. Let me know who you're thinking, and then we'll, obviously you have all your stuff that you do throughout the, the week, and we'll talk about where people can follow you at. So Kosi versus Blood Diamond, who you got? Kosi. I'm on Kosi as well. Nega Mariano versus Petoria. Uh, coin flip. I'll go Nigga Mariano. I'm on him as well. Junior Kim, Jocelyn Edwards. Kim. I'm on Kim as well. Morales and Fugit. Morales. I'm on Morales as well. Close and Hoffa Garcia. Uh, close, but if I was going to bet it, I might be looking to Garcia. I'm not sure. <laughs> Mays, Mays versus Abdelwab. Mays. Mays. Dober and Alves. Dober. I'm on Dober. Oh, bro, what was with the hesitation? <laughs> Well, because I was thinking about the like that there's a there's a possibility that I might sprinkle uh like a like a Alves round one finish prop got, and then and then I hit Joe live in round two. <laughs> I got you, I got you. Morono versus Semmelsberger. Uh Semmelsberger. I'm gonna go Morono here. So there's our deviation. Ankalaev, Anthony Smith. Ankalaev, but Smith, if I was gonna bet it, probably. Yeah, I agree with you there. Pantoja Perez. Uh, yeah, I think you. I think you talked to me into feeling okay about Pantoja at minus one eighty. Awesome, I'm there too. Derek Lewis, Sergey Pavlovich. Oh man, if if I, I'm, you know what, I'm gonna go with Pavlovich as my pick. Okay, but if I was gonna bet it, I'd, I'd probably, I'd probably bet Lewis uh, by KO. All right, Brandon Moreno, Brandon Moreno, Kai Carfront. Moreno, I'm on, I'm on Kai, and then Pena oh, Nunez. Oh man, uh. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna pick Nunez. Okay, awesome, awesome. I'm on Nunez as well. Okay, so Eric, I appreciate you coming on the show. Where can everybody? I mean, obviously, you've got your handle there at Eric Betts Fights. Where can people find you? Where can they follow you? Your show, all that kind of stuff. Tell now's your chance. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, thanks so much for bringing me on, Dale. I appreciate it. Yeah, on the screen there, we've got at Eric Betts Fights. That's where you can find me on Twitter. You can also find me on Instagram at Eric underscore Betts underscore Fights. Uh, also on YouTube, if you just search Eric Betts Fights. Um, I also put out content on the Never Hedge Media YouTube channel. Um, I've got a 
bunch of shows going on. I put out a trivia video called Mixed Martial Smarts, where I ask trivia questions about the upcoming uh, UFC card. I usually put that out on Tuesdays. I've got a full card breakdown that I put out on Wednesdays on my channel. Um, I've got um, a show called Big Money Bets that I do live on my channel on Thursday nights. And then um, Saturdays, every time there's a UFC card, I have a show that I do on the DFS by the Numbers YouTube channel where there's a panel of four of us. The show starts one hour before the prelims kick off and the show is called Best Bet. And we go through the whole card and we each share our favorite bet for each fight. And then the, uh, the show ends right as the first fight is kicking off. So it's a great like last stop to get your uh, DGen action figured out before the fights begin. Awesome. I love it. So uh, we'll do, we'll links in the description to all your stuff. And then, um, I mean, we had, you know, full disclosure, we had had this in the works. I was, I mean, you guys heard me promote it. I was on Eric's show a, uh, a few weeks back. So this was, this was something in the works to begin with. And then um, this is my first first punch list show with somebody not named Trey sitting across the other way right. for the entire one. Um, and I know that that was a daunting task and I know that you, you know, you would take it seriously and I appreciate you coming on and um, anytime that you want to come on, man, you just let me know and we'll, we'll make it work. If you see a spot that you like coming up, you just let me know. And if you, if you want to sit down and, and uh, chop it up some more, I'll be happy to have you on. I just want to say that I, I, I am truly honored that I got to be the first, <laughs> you know, for real though the first the first guest co-host and nobody can ever take that away from me no matter what happens from here i was the first guy to do it and i really appreciate that so thank you dale yeah no worries no worries all right guys if you don't already do so you can follow us everywhere at punchless mma shoot us an email chat at punchless mma if you want to talk about that um shout out to our show sponsors allegiance clothing and stay classy meets best way to support the show is by supporting us through the show sponsors if you haven't already left the uh the show a review on itunes spotify stitcher a pod bean wherever the hell it is that you listen to us because we're available everywhere please do so if you're watching live hit that thumbs up button if you watch on youtube after the fact hit subscribe and do the same thing for eric right it seems very small insignificant clicking that thing but i'm telling you when you're a small level content creator that stuff makes the different algorithmically speaking so love you guys appreciate you be good to each other we'll see everybody next week where we got drew dober coming on so see you guys